glad that you're here. We've got the live studio audience, We've got the crew, We've got our office. Still here, they haven't kicked us out yet. So this is the show where we talk about what it takes to build a great brand. And we have somebody amazing for you today, Rand Fishkin. That's right. You may know Rand as the co-founder of Moz, the SEO software. I'm sure you've heard of that. He's also the co-founder of SparkToro, an amazing business to help you find an audience. If you're trying to talk to them, pretty sick. He's also a best-selling author of Lost and Founder, the book he wrote about the trials and tribulations of scaling a venture-backed business. Now, Rand is a good friend. I've known him for a long time. It was super fun to have him here in the studio. And we thought, because he's here, you know what? We should do a little segment. Now, unfortunately, this segment was a little off-rand, don't you think? Are you saying off-rand? Did I say that? You can. <laughs> no, I didn't say off-rand. Okay. <laughs> but just to get the conversation started, we want to show you a little clip of the segment with Rand that was off-brand. Forty-four. Come on, forty-five. Here we go. Forty-six. Okay. All right. Here we go. Ready? Ridiculous. Yeah, we did a push-up competition. Now I did beat Rand by one push-up, so I one-upped him. But Wistia isn't really a one-upping brand. That's not what we're about. Now, in my personal life, am I willing to one-up a friend? Absolutely. Am I willing to one-up my family? Of course. Am I willing to one-up my children? I've been known to do it. But I don't want to be the CEO of a company that one-ups other brands. That doesn't make any sense. Now, this failed. It's off-brand. But you got to have failures on the way to success. You got to try stuff. You got to take risks. And, you know, we've had a lot of failures here, haven't we? Oh, yeah. yeah. We've made quite a few stinkers. So I've asked this crew to put together a little retrospective on some of our most off-brand moments. Let's take a look. Hello there, I'm Tooley the Toolbox. Hi, I'm a video hosted on Wistia. If you're a business video, you belong on Wistia. Hey, how you doing? I'm Brendan from Wistia. Hey everyone. That bad? So, I mean, it's bad. So, Wistia is on fire. Believe me, I, I know it's that bad. Yeah. <laughs> the other ones, whatever. But that one is the. I mean, I know you know that. It's. I hate it. Every time it plays, I th at first I think, ah, this is gonna really work. Yeah. And then it gets the chorus, and I just shrink inside myself. Yeah, it's really bad. Yeah. Parody is yeah. not good. We gotta take risks, though. You have to. You, you have, have to try to. it. So, and how should people think about that? Because you know, you're taking risks with your brand. You're constantly pushing. Right. When you know a risk is a good one, you should actually let it out the door. Yeah. Which I think is most of them. And when it's something off brand, so you don't let it out the door. Yeah. I mean, first, it's about like understanding any brand you look up to. They have to have a paper trail of garbage. Of There's course. no way people are just in meetings figuring out these perfect solutions. Isn't that part of the secret is that you allow yourself yes. to have the garbage? You, you allow yourself garbage. to not put everything out the door? Right. And so I think earlier on in your career, you need to try everything you possibly can. And then when, you're, when you are working on a brand, like first is try to get to know that brand as well as you possibly can. If there's things you don't know, 
try to figure it out. So if it's feedback you need from an audience, like make something that feels risky, put it out the door and be sure that you're listening for that feedback. Don't just move on. Like, is this too edgy? Is this too friendly? Is this not polished enough? Is this too polished? And we've tried tons of stuff with Wistia to, to figure out how scrappy is our brand? How polished is our brand? What is our tone? Mm -hmm. um, but um, I do think that uh, there's moments where you need that feedback and there's other moments where you just need to trust your gut. If you know it doesn't feel right and it's not really living up to the brand you want to create as a team and in your mind, then just don't do it. Yeah, yeah. that makes perfect sense. So like trust your gut, yeah. put it out there, make sure that you're learning something from it. Yes. And then what does it feel like when you're putting something out there and it is risky and it goes well? Like what does that feel like? It's the greatest feeling in the world. Yeah. Yeah. It's absolutely, I mean, all of my favorite work that we've done here at Wistia is the stuff that scared the living shit out of me. And um, the stuff We're that is- We're gonna have to bleep that, you know. <laughs> oh, man. Um, that's true. Um, that's okay, we've been bleeping. Yep. We've learned that. Great we, yeah, we've done, we've been saying, even that was a discussion about our brand. Yeah. That's, that's, I mean, that's pretty meta, but we've discussed, should we say shit? We've actually decided that shit is an okay swear for the show. Oh, really? Yeah, it's in there. Oh, great. Yeah. Well, more <laughs> shit to come after this. <laughs> The brand wagon's coming along really well, but one thing that's key that's missing is a television in the trunk. Picture this, you pull this thing up, pop the hatch, pull out a couple lawn chairs, and you're watching videos all night. Sounds great, right? Power. How are you gonna power the television? It's not gonna be with the battery of a 91 Volvo, that's for sure. So we started thinking about generators. Only thing is, after doing a little bit of research, they're loud and they're stinky. Gas generator, not gonna cut it. We need someone that is more forward-thinking in their energy solutions. Someone who, I don't know, engineered and built a low-resolution, giant LED screen powered by a Raspberry Pi. Someone who's comfortable modding out their electric motorcycle with new LED turn signals. The guy who's never afraid to make a bunch of DIY repairs to his electric vehicle. And the man that DIY'd a solar array on top of his backyard shed to power an entire fleet of electric power tools. I'm talking about none other than Wistia's own VP of Engineering, Robbie Grossman. Hey. This is Robbie. Hey. Robbie's our VP of engineering. Uh, Robbie is going to be the one that's architecting this generator power source. So this is a 72 volt lithium ion battery. Much better idea. Plan is to stash this somewhere in the car, uh, convert it to 120 volts and power TV, lights, and whatever else we need. I feel like we need to like look at the car, figure out what your plan is for all the gadgets and figure out where we're gonna put that thing. Let's yeah. do it. Yeah. And then we'll need an inverter and a DC-DC. Uh, what now? Uh, 
That's that 72 volt, so you go probably down to 12 and then up to 120 or straight to 120. Of course. So Chris is kind of like car guy, right? <laughs> Michael is like totally on this from like the welding art perspective. Now that we have Robbie, he's being humble. This guy's no joke. Now that Robbie's in the mix, I think the brand wagon is really gonna come together. Like if I undid this one, yeah, this square, you don't need all those. Your vision is to make it look like it's some giant circuit board. Something's that's doing, yes, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. doing something. I'm with yeah. you. Okay, Robbie, what you're looking at here is a Sony Beta deck. Uh, Michael already took the face plate off of here, but I'd love to keep kind of the drums intact. The video nerds are gonna love that. Um, so what we were thinking was we could take out these cards here, uh, put the battery kind of nestled right in there. I'm a believer. Right. <laughs> with the electric generator and TV project firmly in the hands of Robbie Grossman, and with Michael making some sparks fly on our 91 Volvo, the Wistia brand wagon is well on its way to becoming a reality. I've been friends with Rand Fishkin for the better part of a decade. But before we were friends, I was a fan. I had brand affinity for Rand and for Moss. Rand has always been incredibly transparent in how he has shared his story and how he's allowed us, the viewers and the readers and the, the, the audience, to care about where he's going and what he's doing next. And this interview was no exception. Let's roll that interview. Rand, you're here on Brandwagon. Thanks for being here, man. My pleasure. Um, for those who don't know, you're the founder of Moss, founder of SparkToro, your best-selling author. You've been on Oprah, and if my math is correct, you've actually given talks to over 30,000 people. So congratulations, that's amazing. Wow, that's a lot of people. Um, so as you know, we have a big launch coming up here uh, you do. at Wistia, October 2nd. Mazel tov. Thank you. Now, when this episode goes out, this launch will have just happened. So I, you've been through many big launches. Um, do you have any advice for me in this moment? <laughs> Uh, so I will say the thing that has worked uh, most effectively for me in the last couple of years with big launches is to uh, tie the launch to a bigger message, a bigger discussion that's already happening in an industry or uh, in a lot of people's minds. It should probably create some controversy. Mm. I, I, when I've taken a controversial point of view, I've found that people are much more willing to amplify it. I will say positive and negative, but, but much more positive, right? Essentially, folks feel like this information, this product, this platform that Rand is espousing, that Wistia is espousing, uh, this ties directly to something I also believe, and it is antagonistic to something that I oppose. And when you tie those together, launches tend to go extremely well. Right? A lot of people pay close attention. So I've had this with a, a few content pieces recently. Um, I'm hoping to have it, knock on wood, uh, with SparkToro as well. And, and I suspect you're in a similar Well, state. yeah, that's the idea. I mean, so, um, you know, we're talking a lot about brand affinity and why brand affinity is so important. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's harder to compete in the world that we're in today. It's harder to stand out. We're gonna get into all of this. Yeah. I know you're yeah. very, very passionate about these topics. I am, yeah. Um, and brand matters more, but it's not enough to be known. 
I think people have to have a connection. And so that's what we're talking a lot about. We're talking about Wistia's shift towards this, um, the tools that we're launching, all this kind of stuff. But one of the reasons I was so excited to have you here today is not only are you a dear friend, but like you have been focused on building brand affinity forever. Like I feel like you are the poster child for this. You were like whiteboard Fridays and you're talking about the early days, but for those who don't know, like the weekly video series that you were putting out is still being put out. Yeah. How many years has it been? This will be 11, 12? 12 years. Yeah. Absolutely amazing. Longer run than Seinfeld. My God. That's crazy. Have you ever thought about that? No. (laughs) That's disturbing. Yeah. (laughs) But I think it's just so crazy because it's, you know, it starts with you on camera, simple concept, getting in front of a whiteboard, teaching your heart out, basically, every week, teaching everything that you are learning, putting information out into the world and letting people build a connection to you and have more brand affinity for you, but also Moz. And I think this was very unintentional in the early years, right? Probably for the first five or six years that I was doing it, I did not realize that Whiteboard Friday was building a brand both for itself as a series and also for me as an individual human being as opposed to, oh, I'm just blogging but in video form. Yeah. And video has this special power to create a type of personality resonance that writing, although I love writing, does not. And so you started with Whiteboard Friday. I want to really dig in on that. So you started that. What made you decide to do it? And then how did you keep doing it? Uh, Real talk, I had been blogging for four years before that, every night, five nights a week, Sunday to Thursday night. Oh, yes. Whiteboard Friday was a way for me to get an additional night off. Right? It was essentially, hey, I go into the office on whatever, Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday, and uh, film this video, which takes, Whiteboard Friday was almost always done in one take. Which is insane. With no editing. Yeah. Yeah. And it was 10 minutes or less. So literally, it was maybe an hour total from the start of the calendar block to the end of the calendar block to do it. It was during the workday. It meant I could go home on Thursday night and I had no blogging, no writing to do. So that was essentially my initial kind of excuse, if you will. And then I think it was year two, we also realized that we could bring guests onto it. And that became another powerful motivation to keep it going because, hey, you, whoever, Danny Sullivan, you should come to Seattle and film a Whiteboard Friday. Danny Sullivan's now with Google, but at the time he he ran... Know, third Door Media, Search Engine Lands, all, all these big media sites in the in the space. So it became this vehicle for all these serendipitously positive relationship building and marketing impactful content. Yeah. So it so it's it makes sense to stick with it, yeah. right? So even though the weird part, I mean, the, probably the weirdest part of Whiteboard Friday, and I know you've seen this with other video investments and other marketing investments of all kinds, but for the first two years at least, maybe even the first three, Whiteboard Friday was our worst performing blog post every week. It was not until probably 2010, so two and a half, three years into it, that it started to perform at the level of our better blog posts. And then by the time I left Moz, Whiteboard Friday was the most impactful piece of content that the company published every week. It drove the most traffic, got the most new free trials, Got them had the highest correlation between engagement with the video and predictor of whether you stayed a paying Moz subscriber. 
So it was, you know, an, an amazing resource, but it took a long time to build. What advice do you give to somebody who, I mean, I think we live in a world, unfortunately, where people are looking for quick hacks. Yeah. And, my quarterly numbers, my yeah, quarterly yeah, numbers. Yeah, and then like in that, but in that world, like a brand is something that can last. Yeah. And, you know, like if you keep investing in a brand, it builds up more value, stronger connection that people have to it. It, you know, it takes a time for that to go away. So like you're almost like accruing value in a brand over time with White Point yeah, Fridays, right? That's exactly right. And I feel like, so the question is like, what advice would you give somebody who doesn't see that yet or can't figure out how to invest for the long term? Uh, so I would say a few things are true. One, many times when I'm asked to make this argument, it's to the wrong person. Like it's to the uh, an individual marketer, a person who's doing SEO, a person who's you know an agency or consultant. And it's not that they don't believe in this stuff. It's that their boss, team, client, C-suite, executive doesn't believe in it. And that, um, I think that's a really hard thing to do. So w when those folks come to me and say, like, how do I convince my sponsor, whoever that mm -hmm. person might be, to make these kinds of investments, uh, I, I have found that the two most effective things are do it in such a way that you can prove one-time early value, right? So make one relatively small investment that you feel like will be able to help make the case for the next small investment, which will help make the case for the next small investment. Uh, and I've also found that competitive pressure is a great way to do this, right? If somebody, if you can show an executive, a, a CEO, CMO, VP marketing, whatever, if you can show them that your competition is building a brand and you can show them the Google Trends chart of, well, hey, look, you know, here's six years ago when they started doing this, you can see that no one was searching for it, nobody cared, it wasn't until year two, and now it's the thing that's kicking our butts out there. Oh, yeah. oh, now it resonates, right? If our competitor is beating us with this thing, now it makes sense to me. You know, and didn't you write a blog post, I'm going to say it was like 18 months ago or two years ago, that was around um, building up like demand for your brand? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can, yeah. You, can you tell, tell our audience about that? Yeah, I mean, essentially, um, my, my belief, especially in early stage startup land, which is kind of where I am right now, but even, even if you're in later stage company, but you are trying to build up uh, demand for a new product or for something upcoming is that you can create that demand early on before the thing even exists. And by making those investments early and often and building up that affinity, uh, you at launch will have extraordinary experiences. Because people in their minds we, we, you know, human beings have this weird psychology, right? Where we like the things that we've already committed to liking. Yes. Right? So yeah. I, I like Chris, therefore, if he introduces me to someone, I am primed to think that person is going to be a high-quality human being and I will want to spend time with them. And if Chris and I are enemies and he makes that same introduction... More likely to think this person is a new enemy. Right. Yeah. 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 And this is, I mean, this is exactly what we're going to be talking about. The launch is a piece of this, which is, um, you know, you might have demand for your product and you can go look at even the Google search of it and be like, oh, there's right, right, right. 10,000 people searching a month. But like, if you can build demand for your brand, you can build that connection up front, you can far surpass that. Like, the simple idea that you can actually 
do something remarkable, do something new, give people a piece of content. You can actually create demand for your yeah. brand that doesn't exist. It doesn't have to just satisfy the demand that's out there. And, and I think this is this is one of the problems with my work in the world of search marketing for so long, right? As I am so used to going, oh, lots of people are searching for X. How do I be the first result in X? Yeah. When I really need to break out of that box and think about, okay, being number one for a thing many people are searching for is great. What if I could be the brand that many people start searching for? What if I could grow the number of people who actually search for that brand and are aware of it? What if I could increase the preference, the brand preference that all people in my sector have to choose my result over someone else's result? Yeah. Well, it's funny as you're saying that, I'm thinking about products like Peloton. Sure. And it's like, I mean, okay, how many people are searching for Peloton at this moment? As and, compared to like electric bike. Yeah, like a home by home workout bike. Like it's like if you had evaluated that opportunity based on that demand, you would have missed the opportunity. And so it's almost in many cases it's like, well, where is there a place where there isn't a strong brand? Yes. And like well, actually where is there a fair amount? There might be a fair amount of demand out there, but like is there a strong it's, brand it's latent, amongst them? Yeah, latent brand. Yes. Latent, sorry, latent demand not expressed demand. Yes. And when you can find those, I think that's where you get tremendous startup opportunities, right? So with Wistia, uh, I think years ago, you identified the fact that, yeah, YouTube is all fine and well if you want to live in their ecosystem. Yes. But if you want to build your brand on your platform and not be subservient to whatever Google's whims are, um, you need a solution for that. And, and Wistia can be that solution, right? Yeah, that's the idea, and you nailed it. So I know you have a little beef uh, with Google right now, and can what's going on there? Like rules are changing, things are not what they used to be. Tell tell me what's going on. Macro level, Google's doing a lot of things monopolistically and anti-competitively that I'm not thrilled with. Micro level for marketers specifically, I am frustrated with Google taking away a lot of the opportunities that historically they have given to the open web and benefiting and biasing to their own products, to their own platforms, instead of the things that everyone else is building, right? You see this with YouTube, displacing all the videos. You see this with Google Maps, displacing all other kinds of local results. You see this with jobs, with events. Yeah. Now they're gonna do it with college ratings and rankings as announced a few weeks ago. So it, they're just intruding into a lot of spaces. As a result, what we see is what I blogged about which is that now less than half of all searches that happen on Google result in a click to anyone's website. Yeah. And of those clicks, Google is taking a huge proportion for their own properties, right? So the, not only are we seeing the rise in zero-click searches, we're also seeing the rise in clicks going to Google. As a result, as a marketer, it's way harder to earn traffic from Google because you're no longer just competing against your field of competition, you're competing against the search engine itself. And what do you think? What do you think for someone who's marketing in this world now? What should they be thinking? What they should, what should they be doing? Anytime you can drive traffic back to your own website and capture an email address, you should do that. Right? You, Those yeah. two are the only channels you truly own and control. Building your, you know, building your property on rented land is a terrible idea. So look, a lot of people have had a ton of success building up their own YouTube channel building up their Instagram presence, building up their Facebook page. 
I think that's high risk. Yeah. I think that's really, really high risk. I look five, six years ago when you know, Moz's Facebook page, Wistia's Facebook page got 10%, 15% engagement, right? We put up a post. 10% of the audience would see it. 10% of the audience yeah. would see it. Today, if you get 1%, you are you cheering. And you have to pay. <laughs> and and right? you have to pay. So, uh, I mean, the first thing you should do is build your property on your own land, right? Build your traffic and traffic sources that send visits back to you and build your email list. Those are the two things that Google, Facebook, whoever can't take away from you. The second is use the platforms in the way uh, that best benefits your brand. And I think right now that is primarily brand affinity and brand impressions rather than traffic driving. Mm -hmm. So Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, YouTube, Instagram, they're all biased against sending traffic back to your site. But you can get a lot of engagement, brand engagement on those platforms by playing to their rules for engagement. And their rules for engagement are essentially, if you keep, keep people here longer, if you help us addict and engage people on our platform, we will show your content more often. That's an algorithm you can learn how to play. So for those who don't know, what is SparkToro? SparkToro exists to help marketers find those channels, the channels and the individual players where they can go spend either budget, advertising budget, or marketing investments like outreach and PR and relationship building and content uh, and reach their audience through them. We essentially have tens of millions of profiles in a database uh, that are crawled from the web and social accounts, and we can give you all this amazing information about them, saying things like, oh, yes, uh, interior designers are highly concentrated in Boston and New York and not so much on the West Coast. Oh, yes, we can tell you that people who do video marketing tend to follow these 10 social accounts and watch these YouTube channels and listen to these podcasts. And this information is designed to help, fundamentally, marketers do better targeting, to not have to just rely on Facebook and Google. That's awesome. So today, we've talked a lot about challenges, opportunities, like for a marketer today or a, you know, a startup entrepreneur. Um, what advice would you give somebody starting out and you said today, like they're trying to build their brand? Yeah. What, what would you tell someone who's starting? What would you tell them to do? Um, I think it very much depends on the sector that you're in and the audience that you're trying to reach. But in general, I am a huge fan of uh, identifying just one, one marketing tactic that you can recurring invest, invest in over and over again, steadily improve and derive value from. So that maybe the channel that works great for you is content and SEO. Maybe it is uh, video marketing. Maybe it is a podcast. Maybe it is conferences and events. Maybe it's uh, offline traditional advertising. Maybe it's pay-per-click. Whatever, uh, whatever it is, yeah. it is, right? As long as it is something that you can consistently invest in and see returns, you know that it'll reach your audience. You know that you have a message that resonates. You know you can do uniquely better than other people in your sector in that particular space. Uh, I think that a ton of early stage folks get overwhelmed by the number of channels they think they have to invest in, and they don't. Yeah. You can really kick butt with one, literally just one. Rand, thank you so much for being here. This is super fun. Chris, it's my pleasure. I, I love what you're building here. I'm super oh, excited for it. Rand Fishkin, he really does it.
Um, one of my biggest takeaways from this interview was the simple idea that Whiteboard Fridays, their weekly video show, which is going for 12 years, gets tons of traffic, tons of signups, actually started because Rand thought, you know what? I'm writing five blog posts a week. I prefer to write four. And it was an easier way to make content to go on a Friday. And so they took a risk. It wasn't a big strategy. It was actually a time-saving thing. And yet, this simple risk that they took ended up turning into one of the most important pieces of content and the most important series that they've ever made. Now, we take risks all the time. We did a push-up competition. It didn't work, but that's okay. And we've talked a lot about strategy here and why you have to have a strategy to build your brand, and you do. But you also have to give yourself the freedom to take risks. You gotta give yourself the freedom to try things. And I encourage you to just take a little bit of what you're doing and let yourself go wild. Try some different stuff, because you never know. You might end up finding a Whiteboard Friday. That's our show. Thank you so much to Rand. Thank you to our live studio audience. Thank you to our crew, and we will see you next time. Next time on Brandwagon, Chris sits down with Justine Jordan from Help Scout, and we discuss a few videos that may have not been seen by a lot of people, but sure had a big impact. It's on fire, and it's always burning. Na, 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 na. <laughs> Whiskey is on fire. Yeah. <laughs>